You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, yeah. What's going on? Happy Tuesday. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez here. James Mesh, the producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most slash bat speed connoisseur. The slug. The slug. With two Gs. With two you, you can't forget that second G. That second G is critically important. Right? It, it's just it's crucial. It's it, so it important. It is. You, you catching on what I'm doing here? Yes. How's your day going, bud? It's all right. How about you? Oh man, I'm. It, it, it's a Tuesday, for sure. You know, every, everybody says the Monday. So the, so the club's going up. Mm. No. You know, everybody says that Monday's the worst day of the week, and I used to think that. But you know, now I'm. My fiance has kind of grown this on me. I really think it's becoming Tuesday. Because Monday is like that first day back and you're tired, right? But then on Tuesday, you're so tired from the day before of work that Tuesday is just like, you know what I'm saying? I would say, I would arguably say Wednesday. You see, Wednesday... Because that's the middle of the week and... Wednesday, there's a switch in my head that says, hey, we're halfway there, we can do it. That's where my head's at on Wednesdays. On Tuesdays, I'm sitting here like, it's only Tuesday? Like, are you serious? Eh, I mean, me, I don't know. I guess because it's the middle of the week. You're just, you're You've just hit the halfway point. Guy. Yeah. Every day is just a great day to be James Mesh. That's what it is. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. We have a great show lined up for you today on this Tuesday. We talked about the Astros playing the Twins tonight in Minnesota. They will begin game one of what will be six this season on the Carlos Correa Houston Astros reunion tour. Uh, I saw a video of Correa and Altuve meeting each other on the field earlier today uh, before tonight's game. They will have first pitch at 640. Justin Verlander going for the Strohs, 3-1 and one on the year, a 1.93 ERA. The, the guy is just killing it. Again, picking up right where he left off from Tommy John. And then the Minnesota Twins will go with Joe Ryan, who is also 3-1 and one, with a 1.63 ERA. But he has thrown five innings less than JV. We'll dive deep into that Astros game with Apollo Dez at 5.30 into the moon. We've also got some NIL guidelines that the NCAA has released to discuss. We'll do that with the Athletics' Chris Vanini at 5 o'clock. We'll also talk about the college, the NCAA wanting to do away with divisions in conferences. It's intriguing. Something interesting to look at. Could you could you imagine, James, the Sun Belt Conference not having an East and West division, or the SEC not having an East and West division, and it just being, you know, the conference? I like that actually. Really? Yeah. 
Because that's just, I guess that's just how I've always seen it, maybe. Because I don't, I just think SEC. Obviously, I think with the NFL, NFC South, NFC West, BC. AFC North. But when it comes to like SEC or Sunbelt, I've just always thought of it as a whole and not as the two different sides. But you see, that's going to make the conference championship games tricky. Because what's going to be your tiebreakers if you've got three teams with a record of 10-2 and two at the end of the regular season? You go back to the different tiebreakers. You're, you're going to have look, to look at what they did with look at look at what happened with the NBA. Look, they they had like they had to go to the fifth tiebreaker to figure out how to do the two, three, and four seeds with the Celtics, Bucks, and Sixers because they I think they all had the same they all had the same record. They're going to have to completely redo the way that they do the tiebreakers now because that's that's going to be interesting. I'm I'm intrigued to see how they're going to do that and I'm intrigued to see what Chris Vanini's going to have to say about that. Also, Jarvis Landry talks about Jarvis are heating up. A new team has come into the fold. The Ravens are apparently showing interest in him. James believes that that makes a whole lot of sense. I've thought about it the last few days and it it just does. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Tom Brady. You know what they say, the rich get richer. And, man, is Tom Brady getting richer. He is signing a 10-year, $375 million deal to become a broadcaster for Fox Sports as soon as his playing career ends. So uh, imagine, James, I I, I know that you're a producer, but you're also a co-host. So take the co-hosting aspect of your job and just do it on a larger scale. And for millions and, of dollars. And get paid $37.5 million a year to do it. Wow. Yeah. That, uh-huh. uh-huh. That honestly leaves you speechless. And, and travel the country. Yeah, you get... and you, So you just get to cover games for free. Or not for free, but like... Right. As your job. Right. You get to watch and talk about football for $37 million a year. Not to mention... Your wife, who is a Victoria's Secret model, makes that much, if not more, in a year. The rich get richer. Kind of makes me sick, actually. But anyways. As long as as you don't have to go back to the house. Wait, what? I said as long as you don't have to go back to the house. Right, right. Poll question of the day is will Jarvis Landry sign with the Saints? Is it yes? Is it no? Is it hope so? Or are you telling Juice to stay away? So far, 42% say yes, 27% say no, and 31% say that they hope so. James? What you got? Don't dive deep into it, but just kind of tease the segment a little bit. What? I just, I don't, I'd love to have him. That'd be great because wide receiver is my favorite position. So, of course, if you could have the best receiving core that the Saints have ever had, that'd be great because, please, name me, name me a better Saints core, wide receiving core in the Saints history. Then when, then when, if you would add Jarvis Landry? Yeah. You can't. Exactly. 
It would be the best one, and I'd love it. But I just, for other reasons, I think it would make more sense for him to go to Baltimore. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Here's an interesting, while we're staying on the Saints topic, here's an interesting statistic about Alvin Kamara. He leads all running backs in receiving yards since he entered the league in 2017. He has 3,263 of them. He's also second in receiving touchdowns with 20 and third in rushing touchdowns with 47. Kamara's a boss. He has a nose for the end zone. Like an absolute boss. Uh, he has a nose for, for paying fines for cleats, too. Yeah, he does. But Hey, but those those cleats are swag. All right, let, let's, let's do this. Over, under, six games. Well, you got to do it half. Because what if it's six exactly? Okay. Over, under, four and a half. Ooh. I'm going to go over. Really? I'm going to go under. You're going to go under? I think he gets four games. How I'm curious. How much did? Because if he's not facing criminal, if he's not going to be facing criminal charges, I mean, I don't see yeah, him getting a six game suspension. That's fair. I mean, we just got to revisit. I just know they're going to have to revisit the case. How much? Wait, was Marshawn? How long was he suspended? Or he wasn't at all. Yeah, Marshawn never got suspended. He never got suspended. And but that that was a completely different situation because that was with it was a it was that a gun was charge. possession of gun. Yeah, it was that a gun wasn't charge. his. Deontay got. Suspended because was it PEDs? PEDs, yeah. That was f- what four games? Yeah, it was three or four. Yeah, I think he. I think he got four. I mean, I'm just trying to think with with like physical assault because I know Ray Rice. I think got seven or six. So while that, but that was with a that was with a woman. So while you, while you figured that out, highest paid sports broadcasters, Tom Brady. Before he even starts the career, is already making more than the rest of them. Jim Rome makes thirty. Tony Romo makes eighteen. Michael Strahan makes seventeen, and then Stephen A. Smith makes ten million at ESPN. So Tom Brady signs a contract that he has yet to be a sports broadcaster. But he's going to end up being the highest paid whenever he is ready to retire, which if I was him would be right this very second. Hey, you know how I retired and then unretired? Yeah, I'm going to retire again. Thanks. Have a good one. I would leave Tampa Bay so high and dry at this very moment. I mean, $38 million a year. Absolutely just insane what uh what they're able to do. We'll talk some NBA as well. And we'll take your phone calls on the hotline 706-0111 if you want to chime into the show. And here in Acadiana, you can watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Before we take a timeout, though, let's talk about Downtown Rising, June 4th at Park International. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You can score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. 
All you have to do is register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to get those VIP passes for Downtown Rising on June 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We'll take a timeout and win. We return here on Crunch Time with me, Gazamesh. NBA playoffs. James's Celtics evened the series last night. That and more on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on a Tuesday afternoon. 1037 Lafayette. And 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Met me, guys, James Mesh. Having a good time here in, in the game studios. Uh, cutting up, dancing, acting like a fool. James, you, you, you Celtics, you were, you were nervous yesterday. And you were probably nervous for three and a half quarters, but they turned it around. Oh, yeah, it was. Walk, walk me through it. What happened? Oh, it was a lot of BS calls early on. Maybe want to, uh, you know what? I'm just not gonna say it. It was definitely frustrating to watch early on. They were they kept themselves in the game, as they did last game. But the shots weren't falling early on. You saw a lot. Like when I was watching shots, it was like it's about to go in, and then it just finds a way to get outside the basket, and then the Bucks get the rebound. Luckily, Drew Holiday didn't have. A good game for once offensively because it felt like he couldn't miss a shot the first three games right but last night he only went five for 22 still had 16 points still had nine assists and seven rebounds still pretty effective his plus minus was minus 23 but i didn't realize he had shot that many shots well he had been shooting that much but i didn't realize he only made five that's what shocked me he did miss a lot Toward the toward the second half, he took a lot more shots and just couldn't make them. But when I saw Giannis in that third quarter, I think he scored about half of his points, if not more than half, in the, in just the third quarter alone. That worried me. That that's where it really got me. But once you saw the poster from Al Horford and him staring down Al. And then getting the tech, I think that that's when that's when Al turned it up. Like he he decided, all right, fine, all right, you, you wanna you wanna do that? I got you. I'm about to turn it on myself. And then he and then he had a career high in points at 34 years old. So so do you think that there is a reincarnated Al Harford? I hope so. I mean, if he if he wants to keep putting up. 25 plus and then just if he wants to yam on Giannis for the rest of the series I am all for it I'm not going to tell the old man to hold back so remind me again what they called Horford for on a tech they they called a flagrant one because Giannis was still kind of on him a little bit after he dunked and he kind of like moved his arms and as he was like celebrating like yeah 
he also had kind of elbowed Giannis a little bit in the face. Mm, okay. So they called a flagrant one on that. But if you saw some of my tweets, that was also one of the things I tweeted about was Al Horford got the flagrant for that, but Giannis literally slapped, punched, or elbowed three different Celtics players throughout that game. Got no one call. You literally saw him. You saw Marcus pick him up at like full court. He literally elbowed and smacked him in the face, and you saw him be like, "Ah, like he hit me," and no call. Jalen got elbowed, I believe, in the face by Giannis during a rebound, and Grant Williams as well. Like he got on top and like just elbowed him in the mouth, and I thought he was bleeding. I thought he was about to lose a tooth. So now the the game is it, the series is 2-2 and they're going to go back to Boston with the momentum for game 5 Wednesday night with the momentum where where and according to Ime Udoka Robert Williams could be back for game 5. Yeah. Which is weird. I I've noticed. So the only time so the two games that the Celtics have won so far is whenever one of their Starting five players has been out, weirdly enough. Smart was out for game two. They blew him out by 20. Robert Williams was out last night. They find a way to come back and take a commanding lead late. I don't know what it is about one of them being out, but I want all of them back. But it, it's a weird trend if you've noticed that. Yeah. And then looking at the other game, Golden State and Memphis. This might be a hot take. This might be a reach. Memphis only losing by three without Ja Morant. That's a good sign. Tells me that they're not going to go down easily. No, this this could go seven as well. They're not going to go down easily. I mean, yeah, Curry had 32, but you only got 14 out of Klay Thompson on six of 20 shooting. But he had shot like eight free throws the final two minutes to really help him get Curry to Curry did, yeah. Yeah. Klay Thompson, dude, Klay, Klay Thompson was 0 for 7 from three last night. Yeah, I... I watched the first five minutes by itself, and the Warriors couldn't buy a bucket. I think they were they were down pretty early on. So, yeah, at, at the end of the first quarter, they were down four, and then they were we're down, saying they were able to climb back. But early on, they they were down like twelve two, and they were probably one for ten, one for eleven, or two for eleven from the field to start off. Like they they couldn't make a shot. Heck, they were down seven going into the fourth. Golden State was. And then they outscored Memphis by 10 in the fourth quarter. 39 to 29 in the fourth quarter. But again, and and I know that Clay Thompson's not going to have back-to-back games where he doesn't make a 3. But if you get Ja back, which I don't know what the what the injury status is on him. I haven't um I haven't seen any word from the Grizzlies on on what it is beyond game 4, but I, I could see, like you said, six, seven games. I could easily see that out of out of this series, which is what I thought it would be all along. Second I saw this matchup, I said it was going to be at least a six-game series. So that's going to be interesting. That's uh, that's going to be intriguing. It would t- it would take a it would take two hero effort games by Jaw for him to play both. For them to get it to seven. And then, you know, <laughs> people people made the joke last night that Mike Brown was getting some head coaching experience early. Because, you know, he just signed 
idea to become the Kings' new head coach. Uh-huh. And I know he's been a head coach in the league before, but it's been a while. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like with Dennis Allen. Steve Kerr tested positive for COVID, so Steve Kerr didn't coach the game last night. Mike Brown did. So people were making jokes that Mike Brown was getting some some practice in, but before he goes to Sacramento, which I thought was was pretty funny, but. Looking ahead to tonight's games, um, yeah, Steve Kerr tested positive two hours before tip. So that's interesting. But anyways, looking ahead to tonight's games, a couple of game fives in the East, Philadelphia, Miami. I, I still don't know what to make of this series. I don't. You know, it, it seems like... Miami is is a team that that wants to to finish the job and and wants to move on. And it also appears that that Philadelphia is poised to crash and burn in the postseason like they have time and time again. I I honestly think it's it's going to be Miami Heat that wins tonight. Cuz I can't see this good of a team, the number 1 seed have three bad games in a row. I can't see it. Jimmy Butler's been doing the heavy lifting. There's no way the rest of the team has three terrible performances overall. I can't I can't see Jimmy scoring 40% of the team's points again. I could see him putting 25 again, but I got to believe they win like 118 to 112. Yeah, I, I think Miami bounces back. I agree with you, but again... I'm just waiting for Philly to fall apart. They are known to do that in the playoffs. James Harden led teams do it, and I'm I'm just I'm waiting for it to happen. And who knows? Like how know. often do two wrongs make a right? And because Philly as a team always does it, and so do James Harden led teams, and so do Doc Rivers led teams. Exactly. Yeah, it's the perfect triple threat. Trust the process, right? Exactly. Good. So I got I got to believe that this team going back to Miami figures it out, takes the lead back, has the momentum as they go back to Philly for Game Six. Let's update the poll question. Actually, let, let's go to the other NBA game in the Western Conference again. Game Five, Dallas Phoenix. Dallas riding a two-game win streak. They won both in Dallas to tie the series at two. They're back in Phoenix tonight, and Monty Williams, newly named NBA Coach of the Year, needs a major, major performance out of Devin Booker. This is a this is a must win. This is easily a must win because we talked about before. The Suns can't win in, in Dallas. Nope. So if Dallas wins tonight, I say I say I say the series they is over. They couldn't win easily in New Orleans either. No, they couldn't. They're struggling on the road. The only thing they have is their home series, is their home games in Phoenix. And then you also need Chris Paul to step up. Yeah. Which last time that Chris Paul scored very few points, I mean, he stepped up the very next game. He stepped up. But but look look at game four. It was the first time in his career that he had more fouls than points. He had five points and fouled out. 
Like, you can't have another performance remotely close to that if you want to win tonight. No, he's got to be closer to that 14 for 14 from the field. He doesn't have to be perfect, but he's got to make over half, I would say. You need 15-plus points out of Chris Paul. I would say say 18 and 12, at least. Uh, Or probably, I, I expect him to hit 20. 20 points and get 12 assists, at least. And then obviously you need the the regular production out of out of Devin Booker, who's and you, need, and you need the supporting cast. You need you need Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson. You need all of them to to hit like they were hitting against New Orleans. Yep, it'll be interesting. Six thirty will be Phoenix and Miami. I mean Philadelphia and Miami, and at nine o'clock will be Dallas and Phoenix. Before we take our second time out of the show. The Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041The Game can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of the Rewards Club, you'll have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House here in Lafayette. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood. The only way to win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House is by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. Take that time out now. And when we return, James Mesh is going to dive into his theory as to why Jarvis Landry should go to Baltimore instead of New Orleans. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles at a Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 10th, 1970. Bobby Orr scores a famous overtime winning goal as Boston beats the St. Louis Blues 4-3 at the Boston Garden in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. The win gives Boston a series sweep and its first title since 1941. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, Gaza Mesh, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Before I, I let James go on his rant, I do have to talk about Kramer Robertson, the former LSU shortstop, has been promoted to the St. Louis Cardinals active roster. He will make his debut tonight against the Cardinals opponent. I did not see who they were playing. I have not checked. Um, But anyways, he will make his MLB debut tonight for St. Louis as they take on Baltimore, 645 first pitch. I saw on Twitter that uh, Kim Mulkey and Paul Maneri flew to St. Louis and they're actually the picture is them standing on the field behind the the rope watching the Cardinals take batting practice and the caption is taking in the show pretty cool uh congrats to Kramer obviously Kramer being the son of LSU women's basketball head coach Kim Mulkey so cool moment for for LSU in, in general that uh Kramer has finally made it to the show all right, James. Why do you think that Jarvis Landry is better warranted to go to Baltimore than to stay home in New Orleans? I'm just curious. What if 
What what if you give the case for the Saints first? Because obviously this is the Saints area. Okay. A lot of fans would like to hear, and then I would rebuttal. That's fair. Um, like you said earlier, Jarvis Landry walks into New Orleans. It's the best wide receiving core the Saints have ever had. He is at a point in his career where I don't think money is the issue anymore. Uh, I think he wants to be on a team that is a championship contender. And I don't think that he is in a scenario that he has to be the number one guy anymore. I think he would be okay being the third option. Or even the fourth, if you want to throw in Alvin Kamara. Because your first option is going to be Michael Thomas. Your second option, you could say either Kamara or Chris Olave, depending on, on how Olave performs through minicamp and OTAs and all that stuff. And then, you know, third or fourth, Olave, Landry, somewhere in there. I, I think Jarvis, I, I think coming home and being back home with his family and his friends and having his family, his like wife and kids be in that scenario is kind of more what he's looking for at, at this point in his career. I, I think Jarvis is content with being a receiver that makes, you know, $10 million a year and catches 60 60 passes a year. I think he's okay with that. And I, I think the real thing that he's searching for is a championship. And if you join the Saints with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and then don't even get me started on this defense, I think you're going to be in the best position to win a championship. I think you're going to be in a much better position in New Orleans to win a championship than you are in Baltimore, which is part of the stacked AFC. The NFC, if, if you look at it, I mean, the Rams, they won the Super Bowl a year ago, but how much of that are they bringing back? Not a lot. You look at Tampa, they're good, but they're getting older. Tom Brady, as much as we revel at how old he is, he can't play like this forever. You know, He's looked more human when he plays the Saints. They're going to take a step back. You who else? The Cowboys? I mean, they've got talent, but they can never put it together. Green Bay always finds Green, a way. But. Green Bay's going to take a step back. Because Aaron. eventually the, the controversy between Aaron Rodgers and the front office, that's going to throw a wrench in their performance on the field. They're going to take a step back. You know, who, who else is there? The NFC is wide open. I mean, you could say the Niners, they, they had a good year last year. What are they going to do with quarterback? Do they play Jimmy G? Do they go with Trey Lance, who, according to their front office, has been underperforming? But that, that's kind of my point. The NFC is so wide open that the, the Saints could put Jarvis Landry in the mix, go win 11-12 games this year, and who knows, 12-5 and five might give you the one seed in the NFC this year. It, it, it's so wide open. And, you know, I just, I just think that the AFC, I mean, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, the Titans, the Ravens, the Steelers could make a run this year. The Browns are, you know, 
we'll see what they do. There's just so many pieces in the AFC that could make a run. I can't say the same for the NFC. It's very fair. I totally get it. And like I said, it's not that I don't want Jarvis here. I just think he ultimately won't. Because when you look at it, look at Baltimore's roster. What Their number one receiver right now is Rashad Bateman. They just traded away Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown. They just traded him. So they have that wide receiver one spot open. Or maybe he takes that over. Maybe Bateman takes it over, and then Jarvis becomes the number two. We heard contract. We heard how Jarvis wants to be paid about $20 million a year. You were talking about contract earnings. Jarvis, when he was playing with the Dolphins, he made under a million a year because he was still on his rookie contract. And then the last three years, he's been paid $12.5, $13, and $12.5 million. So I don't think he's made like the superstar money or made the amount that you look at compared to people like Odell Beckham Jr. So I, I still think he wants to get a bag. He doesn't want to have to play on a one-year, $3 million deal to like do a prove-it. He's already proved it. He's not he's not on the back half of his career. Ha- has he? Jarvis? has How many catches did he have last year? 50? Maybe? 52 for 570 yards and two touchdowns? That's not great numbers. That's not number two numbers. Not in the Saints offense, that's not number two numbers. He hasn't put up 1,000 yards since 2019. That's because the t- that's because that team's gone more to a very run-heavy. Baker throws it mainly to the running backs and to the tight ends. He doesn't throw it to his receivers a lot. That's the thing. When he was with Miami, he was getting, he had 84 his first season, and then he had 110, 94, and 112. No, I mean, Jarvis, Jarvis has never been a 1,200 a year guy. He's always been the short, intermediate, throw the wide receiver screen, let him just kind of do whatever because he's not super duper fast. I, I, I'm just thinking Baltimore needs another receiver. They have the money to give him. It won't be, it probably won't be the 20 million. And not to mention, teams after the draft, they only go and get positions that they haven't been able to address in the draft. Saints already addressed it early on in the draft. Look, I can tell you right now, nobody's handing Jarvis $20 million. No. Nobody. But I think if if somebody were to go close to that number, it would be someone like the Ravens. Because not to mention, the Browns already released them. They and the Ravens are a division rival. So it would be, he would have the ability to play with somebody like Lamar Jackson, who everybody loves playing with. He wouldn't have to, they wouldn't have to lean on the offense as much and be so offensive heavy because that's kind of what the Browns had to do. The Browns have Miles Garrett. They had Clowney, but he wasn't super effective. Other than that, they have Denzel Ward. All the other players on that defense, they're mid at best. On the Baltimore defense, they have stars at every level. That's their identity. You won't have to lean on people like Rashad Bateman and Jarvis Landry every time. You'd be able to throw him the ball a bunch, 
but it's not like you're going to lean on him for 120 catches like you would have to with Michael Thomas. You'd still be the number two. You'd get more money. You'd be in a tough conference. But Baltimore was there last year. They were right there and potentially had the chance to get the number one. They they potentially had the ability to get the division if Lamar didn't get injured. So they were right there. So if you get an upgrade at the position, in my eyes, with someone who's got more experience, who could be the leader for that wide receiver group. An upgrade from who? Marquise Brown? They've both been about the same. I would like the more... Because Marquise was not happy in that situation. So imagine you get somebody that maybe fits a little better. Does he, though? I think getting a short, intermediate guy, like how they did with Willie Sneed. I think that would work. Again, you don't you don't have to go bombs away. You can do the you can do the power O offense the way you did because you just signed who was it? Mike Davis from the Falcons. The the Ravens did today. I think I think Jarvis is chasing the championship more than he's chasing stats. It's the one thing he doesn't have on his resume is a ring. Baltimore they struggled to win their division last year. And I get it. Lamar missed the last five games of the year. I understand that. But now, that's the second time that Lamar has missed significant time. He's injury prone. Say he gets hurt again. Who's who's their backup quarterback? Huntley? Is Huntley even still on their roster? Because there were talks that he was... Wasn't he in a contract last year? Or, or, or something like that, regardless. My, my point being is that they don't have much behind Lamar in the quarterback position. So I, I think in the grand scheme, yes, Jarvis could go make more money in Baltimore. Jarvis could be the number two in Baltimore. I get that, and I get why, if you're Jarvis, why that's appealing. However... The only thing you're missing on your resume is a ring. You add Super Bowl champion to this resume, he could be in contention to be a Hall of Famer, I think. I mean, granted, a couple more thousand-yard seasons wouldn't hurt, but Jarvis really needs that ring. And I think he has a much better chance to get it in New Orleans than he does in Baltimore. I mean, Lamar Jackson has won one playoff game in his career. One, I think. Maybe two. His his playoff record, it's one and three as a starter in, in the playoffs. With three touchdowns and five interceptions. Well, I think three of those came in that first game. Still not great. No, it's not great, but I'm just saying. The dude chokes in the playoffs. Year after year. Can that be turned around? Absolutely. But at, and getting at, someone like Jarvis would help. When Jarvis is 29 and only has, I mean, let's be honest, he'll be lucky to play five more years in the league. You need to go somewhere where you can contend. And you've got a quarterback that's going to give you touches and give you the ball. 
And I, I think that he fits into New Orleans' offense better than Baltimore's. You could line Jarvis up in the slot, and he could be that short, flashy, get-him-out-in-space type of player that he's always been. I don't know how well you can do that in Baltimore. Not when you have Mark Andrews. But how much are you willing to pay him? The Saints? Yeah. I think you give him 12. 12 million? I think you give him 12. You've already got 100 million invested in Mike Thomas. Loomis will always make the money work. Loomis will always make the money work. I know he does. He he always finds a way, but they have a certain number that they're willing to put up. I, that's that's another thing. And, and, and they I, have their own cap. Like, oh, I'm only willing to spend this much. They already put five draft picks into Chris Olave. You're also going to put $12 million into a number two or number three receiver when you've already got another $100 million in Mike Thomas? With, with Jarvis being the number four option, potentially? Because you look at it, the Saints offense, they love getting it to the tight ends and the running backs and only getting it to one or two of the receivers on the outside. What did we talk about yesterday with the Rams? They will do whatever it takes to get a Super Bowl. Even if it's a one-year, $12 million deal with Jarvis, the Saints are going to find a way. Whether Jarvis accepts it or not is up to him. The Saints are going to find a way to make their end work. That's not the issue. That's not the problem. Does Jarvis want to be the fourth or fifth option where he's only catching 50 balls? You see, you think he's going to be the fourth or fifth option. I don't think that's the case. Well, what is he, number two? You're putting, you, you think he's going to have more catches? Two, than, two or three? If, if Kamara gets suspended for the three games, then then Jarvis I'd, probably would have more. But I, I, I think, you're expecting I think Jarvis, big things out of Chris Olave if you're putting five draft picks in him. I think Jarvis is the second or third option, interchangeable with with Olave at receiver or overall in the offense. At receiver, I'm talking about for the offense as a whole, because you you dump it off to Kamara a bunch, you'll dump it off a good bit to Mark Ingram when he gets playing time. I'm saying he's not so, going. Yeah, he, he's going to he's, he's going to get the the fit. He's probably going to be. Right at 50-55 like he was last year. But that's okay when you're in a stacked receiving room. But you're putting $12 million into your guy that's getting 50 catches. To win a Super Bowl, yeah, you will. Because if those 50 catches results in another 750 yards and five touchdowns, absolutely. You do what you got to do to win a Super Bowl. We'll take a time out right here and wrap up hour number one. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. The game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Wants to hook you up with tickets for a special sneak peek. Top Gun Maverick. That's right. You could see it before anyone else. All you got to do is text Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun, no spaces, to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let's check in on our poll question of the day. Will Jarvis Landry sign with the Saints? 
45% of you say yes, 30% say no, and 25% say I hope so. Ton chimes in and says, it makes sense, honestly. I hope he will, but something tells me he won't. I mean, that it, it's a tricky scenario because, you know, James made some good points. He would be the number. He would be the number two guy more than likely in, in Baltimore. He would be, you know, he would be a primary option for Lamar Jackson. Is that something that he's chasing, or is it kind of the way I feel, where he just wants to win, and maybe being home, maybe being back home in New Orleans, sounds good to him at, at this time in his life. So it, it's very intriguing. I'm very interested to see what the Saints are going to do because, as I last heard, they were meeting with Jarvis today. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it more as the show winds down here in hour number two. At 5 o'clock on the other side of this top of the hour sports update, Chris Vanini of The Athletic is going to join us. And then at 5.30, we'll do To the Moon with Apollo Des. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of two. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and you. The NCAA has issued some name, image, and likeness guidance to, to schools, and, and it changes a lot of the way NIL's been done over the last couple of months. Because when it was originally released in July, there weren't a whole lot of rules. So universities were, were kind of doing whatever they felt necessary to, to get players. But now the NCAA says, well, hold on, not so fast. Well, let's change some things. Chris Vanini of The Athletic joins us to discuss the changes and how they could affect the way that college football operates as it stands today. Chris, good afternoon, my man. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, let's let's start there. You know, for for those of us who, who may not quite understand the, the language and, and the verbiage used from the NCAA, just kind of explain what's happening here with this new guidance. Basically, the NCAA is saying, hey, we need to enforce the rules that we already have on the books. You know, they, they released these rules uh, last July or so when NIL went into place. They, they said things like it can't be used for recruiting, inducements, and in pay-for-play and that kind of stuff. They just never really enforced it because state laws kept changing, and, and obviously state laws are real laws and NCAA bylaws are not. So they kind of just let things go for a little bit. And this guideline is a reminder, like, hey, you still can't have boosters, you know, talk to recruit. You can't involve boosters for recruiting. 
and collectives count as boosters. That's basically what they were saying. They, they, they said they're not really going to look backward, but they're going to focus on moving forward, trying to like slow this down a bit. They may t- take a look back at some of the more blatant uh, violations of NCAA rules, uh, but they're trying to look forward. They're trying to trying to push back a little bit and be like, "Hey, guys, we can't we can't be doing this," and only time will tell if it actually has any impact. So the 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 question that I had when I first glanced over this is, okay, you know, you you came out with the rules in July, but then you didn't enforce them for for ten months, and, and now you don't like the way things are being done. Now you want to enforce them, like. From an outsider's perspective, looking at the way the NCAA has handled NIL over the last year, it, it just seems interesting, would be the word, that now the NCAA wants to step in and say, whoa, 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 there's a problem here. Yeah, and, and there, it's fair to question if it'll have any impact. I mean, John Ruiz, the guy who runs the collective for Miami or does his own NIL stuff with Miami, uh, he's straight up said, like, this is pay for play. I'm paying players to come to Miami, and I'm running through this compliance, and they said it's all cool. Uh, so I, I don't know what that, that – there's pretty clearly a conflict there. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. Is the NCAA going to investigate Miami and hand down some sort of penalties? John Ruiz has no reason to work with the NCAA. The NCAA does not have any subpoena power. They can't make anybody do anything. So what are these potential penalties? Is it a big fine? Is it uh, demanding that a school uh, disassociate with a booster, can't have any contact with a booster? And at some point, a booster or collective, somebody's going to sue the NCAA and say, hey, you can't do this. And that'll start a process that'll last probably years. So we're, we're really a long time away from anything concrete being set here. Uh, it's just kind of waiting now to see if the NCAA really pushes back and if they do, if there's a lawsuit and where that goes. Chris Vanini from The Athletic joins us here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Chris, about two weeks ago, an an article came out and it it was talking about how, you know, some of these power brokers in in college sports were were really looking to – the transformation committee was looking to really modernize – some of the governance that the NCAA has, including transfer portal only being around for three months out of the year, a football team's on-field coaching staff, 25 people or more. Where do you think that's at? And how do you think that would change college athletics? Yeah, the transformation committee was something put together last year sometime to kind of go a step farther than the Constitution Committee, which rewrote the Constitution in January. Now this is just Division One, and what does it mean to be Division One? Uh, they were initially supposed to come to conclusions in the summer. It may stretch longer than that for certain things, but some of the issues, even when this committee was formed, were potential things like, hey, there's no limit on coaches now hey, there's no limit on scholarships in equivalency sports like baseball or something like that. Basically, you know, the SEC, the Big Ten, they've got all this money, and they're obviously not paying players. They should be able to do some of these things. They shouldn't be constrained by some of these limitations. 
that are kind of arbitrary, uh, and the transformation committee will probably get to a point where, where they do that. There's still a, a ways to go on this, but those are the types of issues I think they're going to get to. Transfer windows is one that's been not just the transformation committee, but a bunch of it, the, the oversight committee, the D1 council is looking at that as well, potentially narrowing down these five-week periods or so when players can, can go to another school. There's still a lot to work through, but those are some of the issues they're working on. And then, you know, the other things that came out today were some, the NCAA was talking about maybe eliminating title games, eliminating divisions, and also eliminating the initial scholarship count of 25 to have a two-year blanket waiver. What does all that mean? Well, it's not a, the, the first part. It's not about removing conference championship games. What they're going to what they're going to do. The oversight committee has recommended it. It's expected to be approved by the council later this month. Is that there is no longer a requirement to participants in a conference championship game. Meaning, currently, you either got to have two divisions or you got to play everybody in your league, like the Big Twelve does. Those are the only ways you're allowed to host. It. Conference championship requirements on that now. You can determine your conference championship game teams however you want. That means you could go to pods, you could split divisions in half. You could have one league and you you, you play the same three rivals every year, and the other games rotate. It, it, it's going to open the door for a lot of conferences to get rid of divisions and schedule within the conference however they want, and that'll do things like allow more teams to play each other. I mean, like Texas A&M and and Georgia have almost never played each other in the SEC, and it's been several years since they've been in that league. Uh, so so ba- the SEC is going to be 16 teams soon anyway, so they will probably get rid of divisions in some form and go to some different format. The Mountain West has looked at it. The ACC is looking at it. A lot of these conferences are saying, all right, we've got, we, we, we've got a lot of teams in this conference. This, this ain't the days of 10- and 12-team conferences anymore. We've got 14. We've got 16. Let's figure out a better way uh, and make sure everybody can play each other. So that's 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 going to happen. Chris Vanini. as soon as 20, 2023. As for the scholarships, they're, 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 they're going to say they got to work out some details, but the idea is there's no limit to the recruiting class for the next two years. You can sign as many guys as you want, but you got to be at 85 total scholarships. And so that's because of transfers. Teams are losing players at a higher rate because of COVID and everything it did with that. So they're trying to say for two years here, they're going to test it out and see how this goes if there's no limit on a signing class. Chris Vanini of The Athletic is joining us here on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. You know, you talked about conferences getting bigger now. You know, the SEC is going to be at 16 teams once Texas and Oklahoma joins. The Big 12 is looking to be at, you know, 14 teams. Could you see the college football season getting longer to, to kind of accommodate the larger amount of teams and conferences? That's going to be difficult. It it could get longer because of the playoff. Uh, If the playoff expands and you're going from four to 12 or eight or whatever, you're probably playing more games on the back end. And I think that's where they're more interested in adding games because there's probably more money that way. And, 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 And they're actually trying to figure out ways to lessen the load in the regular season, whether that means making week zero a normal week and adding adding extra bye weeks or, or stuff like that. I don't see the regular season 
changing any more than it is because I think everybody knows it's probably going to increase more on the back end. Chris Vanini of The Athletic has been our guest. Chris, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, appreciate you kind of expounding on on these issues, and hopefully we can talk to you down the line as, as the college football season gets a little bit closer. No problem. Thanks for having me. There he goes, Chris Vanini of The Athletic. Let's take a look at our poll question before we take a timeout. Will Jarvis Landry sign with the Saints? 44% say yes, 31% say no, 24% say that they hope so. And on Facebook, we got a couple of comments. Jude Miller says, no, he's signing with the Packers. I don't know where that's coming from. Could the Packers use a wide receiver? Yes. Are they targeting Jarvis Landry? I don't think so. And then Aaron Widcamp comes in says, I hope so. Quan Alexander is needed back too. I don't see Quan returning. I don't. When you when you went and acquired DeMarco Jackson in the draft, who is a very similar player to Kwan Alexander, and it has been stated multiple times that you have great trust in Pete Warner, Quan Alexander's not returning. Not after tearing two ACLs. No way. Would I would I love for Quan to come back? Absolutely. I like Quan Alexander. He's a great player. He's a great guy in the locker room. You know, there's a lot of things that he brings to the table. But the Saints need to get younger on defense. And bringing back Quan Alexander, who's gone through two ACL surgeries now, that's not getting younger. That's not the answer. Um, so I don't see that happening. Just just my two cents. As a reminder, the game 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to take you out to the ball game. It's our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Houston Astros will take on the Texas Rangers on May 21st, and you, yes you, can be there. All you have to do is register in the game clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and you'll get four tickets, a ballpark tour, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lay Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh. Take a time out, and when we return, we will talk some Cajuns. Baseball's got a two-game set with Rice, and softball starts their Sun Belt Conference tournament tomorrow morning in Mobile. We'll dive into all of it on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Breaking news from Adam Schefter. Jean Morant has a bone bruise in his right knee and is doubtful for the remainder of the playoffs. Should we should we go back on our conversation earlier about the Grizzlies still having a chance? Warriors in five? <laughs> Probably. 
because I just oh man, that's a that's a killer. This is a statement from the Grizzlies. Memphis Grizzlies guard John Morant exited during the fourth quarter of Game 3 on May 7th at Golden State with right knee soreness. Morant underwent an MRI and subsequent evaluation has revealed a bone bruise in his right knee. Morant is is doubtful for the remainder of the postseason but is expected to make a full recovery. Oh, man, that's brutal. That is a brutal blow to a team that was showing so much promise to finally, you know, getting things right. I mean, for the longest time, the Grizzlies were kind of in the same situation as the Pelicans. Bottom of the barrel in the division, missing the playoffs year after year. They get Ja Morant, and they're a two-seed. I mean, it's, it's just it's crazy how far they've come in a year, year and a half. And so now, now to get dealt this in the second round of the playoffs when you probably could have had a chance to beat a really good Warriors team. Oh, that's brutal. I feel for, I feel for the Grizzlies. I really do. Um, Cajuns baseball tonight. Uh, they're 28-17 and 17 on the year, 17-7 and 7 in the Sunbelt Conference. They are in Houston, Texas to take on Rice. First pitch is at 6.30. Now, this is, you know, in football, James, you know how they have trap games? You, you got games where you, you really should win, but you, you could just as easily lose. This is a trap game. Because Rice, you, you go into Rice, Rice has a record 13-34 and 34 on the year. They're 6-18 and 18 in, the, in Conference USA. They're nine and twenty at home, but they're. It's one of those situations. They were competitive this past weekend at Charlotte. They were competitive earlier in the year against Southern Miss, who the Cajuns know very well. Uh, they hosted Southern Miss at home. You know, you you look at that Southern Miss series just a couple weeks ago at the end of April, the Friday night it was a one nothing game. Saturday it was six three, and then yeah, you know Sunday you got blown out twelve to two, but you know that that wasn't an easy, an easy, um, an easy series for Southern Miss to win, and you know I, I misspoke they they didn't they weren't competitive against Charlotte they had a rough weekend against Charlotte which makes it even worse for the Cajuns because now they've got a chip on their shoulder they want to come back home. And and prove something. They got outscored thirty six to thirteen in Charlotte, and all of Rice's thirteen runs came in the Saturday game. They were outscored thirteen to zero and nine to zero Friday and Sunday. So they're gonna come. They're gonna come back to Reckling Park in Houston, incredibly angry, wanting to prove something, and the Cajuns have way more to lose than Rice does. Rice has nothing to lose. They're not making their conference tournament. They're not going to make the postseason. The Cajuns still have the opportunity to do so. So the Cajuns are going to have to figure out a way to, to keep the winning going because 
You know, you, you, you swept UT Arlington, but two of those games you had to walk off to do it. Now you've got two games against another really bad opponent before you go another hour and a half down the road to San Marcos and play the number 15 team in America. Texas State, it could be the toughest series that you've played all season. Number 15 in the country. They are, I want to say they're, I'm going to look up their their baseball record. I think they only have like 11 losses on the year. Yeah, 38 and 11. 20 and 4 in the Sun Belt. They are phenomenal. And they're really good at home. 23 and 6 at home this season. If the Cajuns have any inkling of a thought that this series with Texas State is going to be easy, or the Cajuns could go in there and take two out of three, I think at this point, the, the Cajuns, two out of three would be, oh my God, fantastic. You're really thinking probably one out of three. In that weekend series in San Marcos, if you could take, if you could win both games at Rice and then take one out of three, you come back home thirty-one and twenty, and you're eighteen and nine in the Sun Belt, and you've got four more games at home. You got Nichols next week, and then a three-game set against Little Rock, who is also is near the bottom of the Sun Belt with UTA. I think you win those last four, you know, you're finishing the season right there 35 and 19, 35 and 20. I think it's a good place for the Cajuns to be. You win a couple games in the tournament, in the conference tournament, and you, you become a at-large in the in the regionals, which is, I think, exactly what any team is hoping for right now. As you're sitting at May 10th, with with two weeks left in the season, transferring to softball now, Coastal Carolina shut out ULM today five to nothing, which opens the door for the Cajuns to take on the Chanticleers tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in Mobile. It'll be game one for the top seeded Raging Cajuns. They will play the nine seed again in Coastal Carolina. You can catch it on ESPN Plus now. If they win. That one, they would play Thursday at th- at 10 a.m. again against the winner of Troy and UTA. Now, Troy is, is a team that, that Jerry Glasgow spoke about at length in, in his press conference yesterday when he, he talked about having to beat teams multiple times in a season, do, do you think that your team has an advantage going into this conference tournament? I don't know because trying to beat somebody four times in a row, you know, the numbers start adding up. You think about this, we've won the last two conference tournaments undefeated, I believe. I think we're 8-0 in 19 and 21. It's hard to win 12 games in a row. You know, I don't care who you're playing, it's hard to win 12 in a row. And so you get all these streaks going, you know, you've, you've, how many times in a row you beat South Al, sooner or later they're going to beat you. Sooner or later Troy's going to get you. And so, uh, 
I'm trying to think about the positive stuff, but as a coach, you're like your your common sense meter knows like this isn't going to be an easy tournament this week. It's going to be a really hard, a really really hard tournament for us to win, and um, so I'm really elated to see us move up in the RPI to where we're at before we go into it. And you know, as it stands right now, if the Cajuns win Wednesday and then Thursday, they wouldn't play Texas State until Friday at ten in in the semis. But again, you know, you talked about Texas State, you talked about Troy, you talked about South Alabama. You know, Troy and South Alabama are teams that you swept this season. That's that's what Jerry Glasgow was alluding to. It's gonna be really hard to beat a team four times in one year. So that that's something that the Cajuns are going to struggle with in terms of this conference tournament. Jerry Glasgow also spoke about having a young team going into the conference tournament. They haven't they haven't experienced a conference tournament and so there's reason to be concerned there but to what they have experienced is a great success throughout their lifetime in national level tournaments and they played in big games and and kids like Langliers and Landry and uh, you know Falterman greater those are kids that's been playing for national championships every summer since they were 10 and under and I don't expect it to be a big big difference for them they understand the must win format Uh, they're used to going to a tournament in California having to win 12 14 games and this is going to be a shorter week for them for four games. So there'll be differences, maybe just to slow down the, the pace of a college-level tournament with all the media, the pregame stuff, the formality of the day. That may be something they have to adapt to. But as far as the competition on the field, I, I don't expect them to back down. I think they'll be pumped up and geared up and, and believing they're going to win the day they walk in. Once again, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will take on Coastal Carolina at 10 a.m. tomorrow in Mobile. We'll take a timeout when we return. Apollo Dez from Apollo HOU will join us for To the Moon Tuesdays. We'll talk some Houston Astros before their game with the Twins tonight. You're listening to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Fly me to the moon. Driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkes and Mash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Minkes and Mesh. To the Moon. Crunch Time with Minkes and Mesh on a Tuesday. Apollo Dez from Apollo HOU joins us. Dez, what's going on, man? How's your Tuesday? I'm good, brother, man. A little hot and uh, sticky here in Houston, Texas, but uh, another great day to be on with you guys. Yeah, it is it is definitely hot and sticky. It's hot and sticky here in Lafayette, too. Let's, let's, you know, let's look at this Astros team, 18 and 11 so far this year. They're riding a seven-game win streak, though, after winning three against the Mariners and four against the Tigers. How do you think they build on that going back on the road in Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, uh, about 10 days ago, you had everyone on Astros Twitter and, and all the national pundits, you know, saying, are the Astros done? Is the uh, golden age over? And then they just rattle off, you know, seven in a row and get back into a spot where you're like, okay, 
these are the Astros of the old. So um, just keep building on good pitching, keep building on the offense. It's, it's kind of crazy that this entire streak and this entire month has been based on pitching alone. Um, our offense will have some, you know, burst of, you know, seven, eight, ten run games. But other than that, the pitching, uh, the relief pitching, uh, the closers have, have done a, hell, a heck of a good job uh, winning ball games. And uh, it's, it's scary because when that offense clicks, um, this team's going to rattle off a lot more wins than, than we're seeing right now. Yeah, you know, you, you talked about pitching being being the factor behind the win streak. You know, you look at their, their batting average numbers. You're 27th in the league in batting average. You're 22nd in the league in on-base percentage. But then when you go to pitching, you're third in ERA. You're third in whip. You're fifth in opponent's batting average. So, you know... How interesting is that? That you know, Alex Bregman has 17 RBIs. Jordan Alvarez has eight homers, but really, outside of that, you're kind of struggling to get going at the plate. Yeah, I think it's kind of a league-wide thing right now. Um, I think the league OPS is around like 670 uh, for the league average. That's pretty bad. Um, I think it's it's easy to say that the dead ball is uh, here right now in rotation. Uh, so when the Astros get that live ball stimulus here in about a month or month or two. Um, I'm going to be excited to see the numbers uh, start creeping up to the uh, to the mean. But, you know, we've seen it over the years. Pitching wins championships, right? And uh, this is as good for the young guys. We've seen Oda Rizzi turn it on his last three starts. You know, he's, I think, 2-0, and and he's given up one run in, in those three starts, like 17 half innings. Justin Verlander is Justin Verlander. Uh, the young guys of Ukidi and Javier and uh, Garcia – and everyone else just kind of pitched their tails off. And that's that's a positive indicator, especially with a shortened spring and uh, a quick turnaround. It, it's good to see that. And so um, baseball is 162. It is a, is, a, is a marathon, not a sprint. So uh, I'm glad to see the, the arms are getting to work in now. I'm not going to be worried about the bat. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rise back to the, uh, to the mean average. Which, uh, which pitcher has impressed you the most 30 games, starting pitcher has impressed you the most 30 games in? It's got to be Justin Verlander, right? Uh, coming off Tommy John, 39 years old, and it looks like he hasn't even missed a, a beat. Um, to see him compete, uh, I was at the day game at Minmay Park last start when he, you know, he went seven innings and um, I think only he gave up three hits. And he just looks—he looks so confident. He looked like his old self, and I don't know—he just has—he has Tom Brady to him. I think that generation is just kind of built different. He's the last of a dying breed of you know a workhorse and. They're going to go out there and they're going to pitch their tail off and give you seven, eight innings, and they're going to actually go through that third time through the lineup. And so it, it's great to see him operate, especially coming off Tommy John. So it's just got to be Justin Verlander at this point. Apollo Des from Apollo HOU joins us on To the Moon Tuesdays. Let's talk about Jeremy Pena. You know, people were were hesitant when when Carlos Correa left, and the Astros were adamant on Jeremy Pena. You know, being the guy, and, and with good reason. You know, you you, you never seen the kid play in the big leagues. There, there was reason for concern, but but so far, I mean, six home runs, fifteen RBIs. He's got a four ninety five slugging percentage, a three oh five on base percentage. How important has he been to to the Astros' offense? Oh, I think super important. Um, I think he's a, currently a one point nine WAR player, right behind Michael Trout. Um, that's that's pretty dang special as a rookie, uh, let alone just a baseball player, right? And so. Uh, it's going to be great to watch him grow and be this this next big piece of this new core that's about to come about with Alvarez and Tucker. But it's 
special to watch a guy who is playing in the ghost and shadow of Carlos Correa just not even be bothered by it at all. He's going to be Jeremy Pena. He's going to play his game, and this is what we see. And it's you could tell he's still a kid out there, and he's going to make some mistakes. We've seen it with the glove a little bit, but man, does he have some pop, and he's going to be special. Now, looking at, I know it's still incredibly early, but you know, one one thing that's always on the mind of baseball fans is what kind of moves are the team going to make? What kind of you know big trades are the Astros looking at? So l- let me ask you that: what what moves do you see the Astros could be looking at? Where do you think they need to improve? Yeah, I think the big thing is going to be Lance McCullers Jr. When he comes back, that's like getting your Justin Verlander, your Garrett Cole, your Zach Greinke type of arm at the deadline, but it's within your own organization. He's going to be able to bolster this um, rotation. He's going to be force a good arm into the bullpen, which only strengthens your bullpen. Um, and that's a huge move. The other spot, you've got to think center field and catcher. I mean, uh, I, I love Martin Maldonado a lot. He does so much on the staff, but um, the bat right now is just it's, it's not happening. And I don't know if there's a move out there that – you know, they can make without giving up prospects with Leon and, and Corey Lee kind of a year off, and that they're going to be that catcher and center fielder of the future. But if they hold serve with no bats, I can see a, another bullpen arm, maybe a lefty, um, to, to bolster that thing because Blake Taylor is the only guy right now. So um, I don't know. We'll kind of let the, the good thing about the Ashes being deadline demons year in, year out. Uh, they kind of can see the field and see what everyone else is doing before they make a move, and it's paid dividends over the last half decade. You know, you brought up Lance McCullers Jr. when when he's ready to return to the rotation. Which arm do you see going to the bullpen? Yeah, um, Javier probably bounces back into that um, bridge guy, the, your, your three four inning guy. Um, maybe Jose Urquidy, who hasn't been. Uh, Pitching up to expectations. Uh, Luis Garcia has been t- pitching a sell off. Odorizzi has been pitching a sell off. Javier's been pitching a sell off. So maybe Jose's the, the odd man out there. Uh, but you know what? Competition uh, breeds success. And having a bunch of those guys to be able to push each other, we see it day in and day out, is only going to elevate the Astros uh, to get back to the World Series and, and holster that trophy up in uh, October, November. Looking at the Astros schedule over the next, you know, couple of weeks, they're on a nine-game road trip. You got three in Minnesota, three in Washington, and three in Boston. You know, as a as a fan, and especially for, from your perspective as somebody who covers the Astros day in and day out, what are your expectations from this nine-game road trip? Yeah, I'd be uh, I'll be happy with six and three. Um, as as much as I want this one streak to, to keep going, baseball is crazy. And, you know, you can have a guy that go out there and with a seven-something ERA and, and shut you down any given night. So um, expectations are, are to take series. You take series throughout the season. Uh, you're going to be in a really, really good spot come uh, playoff push. So um, I think a 6-3 and three record would be, would be great. Apollo Dez from Apollo HOU has been our guest here on To The Moon Tuesdays. Apollo, appreciate you taking the time, as always, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Absolutely. Talk to you later, bro.
Tune in next week for another edition of To the Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 26th to June 5th. All you have to do is text CH. SF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair. That's CHSF to 68683. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Poll question of the day, will Jarvis Landry sign with the Saints? Yes, no, I hope so, or stay away. Got a couple new comments on Facebook that that I want to want to dive into. Timothy Neelums says, I hope so. Greg Stute says, no, they already have a possession receiver. And then Robert Duplachance says, I don't think he will. I haven't seen much lately, but last I heard, the Browns wanted him back. They just said they were out of it. Well, the Browns are out of it. <laughs> um... But, you know, there's something that that I want to address. I have seen multiple people on social media, whether it's national, local, whatever whatever you may think, that say the Saints should should they're still in desperate need of a quarterback. Are you not sold on Jameis Winston? Do you not think that Jameis Winston could be the long-term solution for New Orleans? They certainly think so. They're paying him $14 million a year. They made sure they didn't draft a QB in the in the draft. Keep in mind, this guy is three years removed from leading the league in passing yards. Yes, he also led the league in interceptions. I understand. In seven games last season, he was before he got hurt, he was playing very well. The Saints were what, five and two? He had twelve hundred yards, fourteen touchdowns, and three interceptions, and a QBR of one oh two point eight. I understand it's a small sample size. It's about half the season. But you you can't tell me okay so perfect if you if you look at it he would have if this would have progressed the same way the man would have had 43 touchdowns to 10 interceptions and 3500 yards no that's not a lot of yards I, the yards but, to me the yards would have gone up because they were going to be throwing they would have opened the playbook more okay, so as say, the year went along so let's say 4000 Four thousand yards, forty-three touchdowns, ten interceptions, and let's and let's even take away a couple touchdowns because why not? Let's let's say let's say thirty-eight. You still wouldn't take thirty-eight and ten and four thousand on a on a winning record. I just I don't understand how how people think that the Saints have a quarterback problem. I I just don't I don't get it. 
Like I like I saw the comment and I thought this. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It it just I'll I'll never clearly I, I and again it, it's fine to you know not be sold on a guy. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But using the word desperately the same is is what is what really really gets me. Right. I don't I I just don't understand I don't understand why there's such a hatred for Jameis. I don't get it. And and it, and it's really there's a lot of it which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because again Yes, he only played seven games last year. And yes, the last time he played a full season, he led the league in interceptions. But he also led the league in passing yards. And in an offense where you look at the first year the quarterbacks play for Bruce Arians, like look at Carson Palmer in Arizona. What, what, did, what did he do the first year he played with Bruce Arians? I believe he threw more interceptions than touchdowns. Right. Tom Brady threw a career high in interceptions, I believe, the first year yep. in 2020. Because all they do is throw it deep downfield. And what happens when you only throw it deep downfield? You throw You're susceptible to throw more interceptions. Yep. Did, did he have problem with his eyes? Yes. But like I said, the reason why I call him the LASIK laser is because he had LASIK eye surgery to fix that. He went to the Saints to work on his mechanics and be a better overall quarterback. He's made life changes. Yeah, his first So the year, fact that he's made so many changes and people are still being like, nope, same old Jameis, when we've clearly seen him make progress, his first year, it baffles me. His first year in Arizona, he threw 24 touchdowns and 22 interceptions. Carson Palmer. Yeah, and Jameis threw 33 and 30. Yep, with 5,200 yards. I mean, I just, I'll, I'll never, I'll never understand. Like, I mean, the question is, would you rather Carson Palmer or would you rather Jameis Winston? I would take, I would take Jameis Winston 11 days out of 10. 11 days out of 10? I've never heard that one before. That's interesting. It's like 25-8. Well, Jarvis Landry signed with the Saints. 42% say yes. 32% say no. 27% say that they hope so. I think he will. Because again, like I said earlier, I think he just he is at a point where he wants to be home. He wants to win with his hometown team. And right now is the perfect opportunity for him to do that. Do I think it'll happen soon? I do. I think you could see Jarvis Landry signing with the Saints by the end of the week. James, when do you see Jarvis getting a deal done with whoever he gets a deal done with. I could see it. I could see it on Friday. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking right there at the end of the week, right before the weekend. Tomorrow on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, we will recap Cajuns baseball. We will recap Cajuns softball in the Sunbelt Tournament. We will talk Tigers baseball as they play Southeastern tonight, which you can hear it here on the game, and a whole lot more. Wednesday's edition of Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. We appreciate Chris Vanini and Apollo Dez for taking the time today. We appreciate you for tuning in, as always. For James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and 
Come back tomorrow for Wednesday's edition of Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. LSU baseball is next.